it is now June, and I'm going to end up going into my anti-Oscars rant. There's no way I'm getting through this podcast without <laughs> without ranting against it. First of all, we have Mr. J. Bevs on once again, uh, and as always, Mr. Rainwater. Gentlemen, did you guys watch the Academy Awards this year? I mean, granted, I think I it was not. probably the lowest rated season or uh, no. ep- version ever. Do you guys normally watch the Academy Awards? That's the better question. I haven't, I haven't watched it in years, man. Same. I think the last time I watched it was maybe when, like, I think Spirit Away won an award for, like, best. Like, this is, that tells you how long ago. I mean, it's like a decade or so ago. And did you um, watch yeah. with the intention of, oh, my, this film that I absolutely love is nominated for something I wanted to win? Or did you just watch oh, because yeah. there was nothing else to I'm do? A, I'm, a massive, I'm a massive weeb. So, like, <laughs> anime getting an Academy Award was a pretty big deal for me that year. <laughs> how about you, Joe? Um, you know, I, I feel like I used to never watch it, but I would go through the list of best picture movies and watch those after. After? Yeah, just because I was like, oh, I missed all these, so let me check them out. Yeah, and, um, That's that fun. makes sense. I would watch yeah. when I do watch, and I do watch, don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> I watch for whoever the host is to see their opening monologue when they inevitably just kind of roast whoever's nominated and sitting right in front of them. And then like, I'll try and just like tune out of it and go and like do something else or just watch when the host pops back up. Or if some crazy shit happens where somebody runs on stage during like naked during like an acceptance speech or some shit like that, because I just want to be up on the the whole pop culture aspect of it. Um, But I used to have a tradition, I guess I would call it. Um, before I was married, when the Oscars would be airing, it would be on a Sunday. And, as always, that was my night to go in. This is what I It was a stupid thing. To go in protest of the Oscars. And this is what I did. I would go to the movie theater. And I would specifically pick which movie I think looked the absolute worst, biggest waste of my fucking time. And pay to go see that movie instead of watching the Oscars. Because for me, and this is the title of our podcast, which everybody knows because they've clicked on the title. Competition in art is the biggest fucking crock of shit that there could ever be. Um, And I hate the fact that it exists. Um, It's a very, it's like a marketing campaign. It's just like to me, that's the entire point of it is to get a title that literally means nothing um, and slap it above somebody's name when they run it through a trailer for the next movie. And that's supposed to sell the audience that this movie is going to be good because they worked on that movie and they got an award for it. Um, Right. To me, it doesn't mean it, it means absolutely nothing more than that. At least that uh, that the Oscars, at the very least. I'm sure at some point during this conversation, I'll get into my spiel about film festivals. However, um, we will go with the uh, wonderful um, politeness, I guess is the, the, the words. But I'm curious to know uh, our guest's perspective on 
competition in art. So, Mr. Joe Bevel, please enlighten us to your point of view as to how you feel about competing within art. Um, so when you're talking about like awards and stuff, I think about like was it the Grammys last year? Uh, the weekend had the number one album, number one sales. He was number one on the Billboard. I remember this. And he yeah. didn't. He didn't win. Was he even nominated? Wow. I feel like he wasn't even nominated, right? I don't think he was even nominated. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like um, a few years ago too. Kendrick Lamar lost to the guy that did that thrift shop song or whatever. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it was one hit wonder came and went. <laughs> but it's just kind of like I feel like a lot of stuff will go underrepresented, and then like you know really bland things win or you know it's just the it's not a really good way of gauging what art is like art is going to be subjective right you know and so like i don't know it's just kind of yeah in that sense really worthless right um, i will say though like when you talk about art like competition in terms of like between people i think people get caught up in that too you know like um like there could be friendly competition. Like when you think of like uh, the Beatles and the Beach Boys back in the day, where they sure. were going tip tat with albums and like, <laughs> I don't think anyone hated anybody, but right, yeah, they were watching what the other was doing. You know, yeah. Well, that's something that like uh, for myself, like when I do, that's the that is the kind of competition that is fun. Like yes. that that I'm into when it's like like you were saying friendly competition between people who are like. Each is trying to one up the other, or like try and find things that the other hasn't found, and then they kind of take from each other, you know, what they've discovered, and it can it, it keeps building and building on itself. But it's to kind go of, to it, it, Rainwater. I think what you're trying to say is that there's a level of respect between the artists. Yeah, like there's an well, and that's what's important, right? That's what's important in any kind of competition is some you have to maintain some kind of respect between all the individuals involved. Right. And yeah. I think it's interesting because in the award show, I theoretically there's respect between everybody who is involved as the artists, mm -hmm. but that's never really something that's ever brought to the attention of the audience. It's kind of like a little bit when they when they thank their fellow nominees. Sure. Sure, yeah. but it's not something that I feel like um, it's not something like we're thinking about generally when sure. we're watching an award show. We're yeah. like, yeah, I want you know my person to win, or I want my film to win, or you know, like yeah. fuck everything else. I want my anime, you know, to, <laughs> to win. And so, um, and you know, that that's any competition. Like that's not just art or whatever. Uh, it's interesting too, because like something that I was just thinking about when we were talking about this topic. Uh, frequently I will, you know, if I find like a sci-fi novel or whatever I'm interested in, there'll never inevitably be some sort of like, uh, you know, Hugo or Nebula award winner or whatever. Mm. And I think this is something that you're kind of implying, Jal, was that something I've discovered about a lot of, and this is particularly in writing, a lot of people who, who win awards for science fiction books they're not doing great financially. Like the award ends up being yeah. kind of just like very, you know, fingers crossed. Like this might help pay off for yeah. somewhere further down the road. And, um, and this kind of goes back to your point about like, you know, oftentimes awards exist more for the point of 
promotion. So like comics yeah. has the Eisner Awards uh, that are commonly presented at uh, the San Diego Comic Con. Um, I've never really participated in the Eisner Awards much. I There are people who have won Eisner Awards who I respect and I'm glad that they won Eisner Awards and been acknowledged. But at the same time, I don't, I'm not usually attracted to any particular story be, in, in comics specifically because they've won an award. It's usually kind of like, oh, okay, this is something that people within the industry have voted on, which is typically how it works. And it's usually based on, you know, people who know each other being like, oh, you know, I think that person deserves, you know, acknowledgement this year. So when you kind of take that into account, it it really takes out the idea of part of the idea of competition is this idea that there is you're having a you're having a comparison of quality between two different things. Right. And the thing of greater quality will win the award when usually it's sort of like the person who has the more connections wins the award within the within that given set. And so yeah. in that respect, I kind of just like, you know, hand wave awards away. Um, and like I said, you know, it's great when people get acknowledgement that I want to get acknowledgement, but it's a totally selfish aim. So yeah. anyway. <laughs> I also, I think this, like you mentioned, the financial part of it. Um, I think that's the same for like comics and films too. Like most of the like, until they win, they're not doing well. And so, like, an award itself is probably not a great goal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <I would agree. laughs> um, which I know there's there has to be people who, like, do very, like, I don't know, like, dramatic, serious things in the attempt to do that. Yep. And, um, you know, that award is probably not going to have the outcome you want. Well, that's kind of, right. that's kind of what happened to me. Um, when I was writing my screenplay for Haunted... Um, mm -hmm. one of the things that I absolutely sought after, and this is, a, a, you know, I'm going to play both sides of the fence here when it comes to the, this discussion, but, uh, it was a little bit of a temporary benefit to me. Um, mm -hmm. one of the things that I did was I submitted to a whole bunch of screenplay festivals and initially on the first, on the first draft, which I was a dumbass, I shot this thing out in a weekend, right? I, I wrote it in like three days. And then I turned oh, around and shit. shot it out to all these film festivals thinking, man, I'm going to clean the fuck up. Got into none of them. Got rejected all over. And it was a nice way for me to kind of ego check myself um, mm -hmm. and go. Because you, you have an opportunity. There's a choice to be made when that happens, when you get rejected. And the, 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 there's two ways to look at it. You can either go, they don't know anything. Fuck them. I know I'm great. Or you can take a step back and go, all right, maybe I need to reevaluate what I did here. Let me look at what I did and see if if I got to fix some stuff. And it turned out I did. I needed to fix a lot. I was rereading it like a, a couple because it takes months for them to respond. It was a couple months later. I reread the script right. and I'm like, who the fuck wrote this? This is stupid. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I started realizing that in the midst of you know sh writing the script, the things that I saw in my head were there on the page but not described in a way that executed the way I saw in my head. And I was like, I know what I was thinking when I wrote that, but this isn't conveying it now. So I have to rewrite this. And I rewrote it. It, it was basically the exact same script, the same story, same characters, the whole nine yards. 
but the way in which I executed it, the words that I chose, all that kind of stuff was different. And then I thought, all right, let me give it another shot. And I, I, you know, I did a couple more revisions and I did the whole nine yards, shot it out to screenplay mm-hmm. festivals and then boom, selection, boom, a winning. Awesome. And it just kept on coming. Um, so that to me became a temporary, again, a boost because it was not, I don't want to say an ego trip, but like we've talked about before me and Rainwater, uh, I know have, but validation as an artist is yeah. something yes, that right. we're all, you can get it. And then tomorrow you're seeking it again. It's not, it's, it's something <laughs> yeah. that's it doesn't not, take long. it's not permanent. No. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. but for a couple of days I was riding high. I was like, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a fucking good writer. Look at all these awards that I won. And then it went too far for me because then I started thinking, Somebody's gonna come a knocking. Somebody wants to buy this script and fund the movie and da da da. And here I am, three, four years later, and I don't have a financier. I don't have, right. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I started realizing, man, what the fuck are these uh, goddamn film festivals for? What are these competitions doing? Like, <laughs> I got exposure. I got like, you know what I mean? Like, people read the script that were supposedly industry professionals. I got no emails, no phone calls, no offers, none of that jazz. So I, then I started thinking to myself this is all just a fucking cash grab from people who are outside the industry industry trying to break their way in. And yeah, maybe they chose the script that they liked the best or the film that they liked the best, but you know what, what comes of that? Nothing. I lost $70 per festival that I submitted to. And I get back a, a little Laurel I can throw on the poster. Guess what I can do. I can market with that. And that's yeah. that's the end all be all. And then I started thinking to myself, well, fuck it. Why don't I just invent twelve film festivals and stick those <laughs> fake laurels on the poster? No one will know the fucking difference. And so I guess that what I'm what I'm leading it left me bitter and cold towards festivals. But the question that I'm working towards with you, gentlemen, is have either of you ever submitted to festivals, competitions, whatever within your particular mediums and what were your experiences with that? And since we asked Joe last time first, I will defer to Rainwater this time. Well, it's interesting that you asked that question because um, I, my current my current job is because I entered into a competition, basically, oh. by the suggestion of Joe, actually. <laughs> and this was, um, this was, I guess, in 2018, Webtoon had been doing uh, a competition for... Um, I think they call it the discovery contest. And so basically the idea is people submit their stories to Webtoon and run it for like 10 weeks. And so I ran Trailer Park Warlock for 10 weeks. And I noticed like, first of all, um, I had never submitted that story in its entirety in front of a bigger audience where I could get immediate feedback. And so that alone was like super validating because... While it wasn't a lot, it was like, I think at a certain point, there was like 3,000 people who were subscribed, giving feedback, talking about it. It's like, oh, this is cool. Like, I've never really experienced it at this level. I didn't win any of the levels. Like, I didn't get first place, second place, third place. I got like an honorary mention, and I was like, okay, I guess that's it, you know? It was a nice ride. I kind of val- I got validation that I wanted, that people liked the story. The story I made was something that was good. And I just let it hang up. And then a couple weeks later, I get contacted by uh, an editor at Webtoon. And he's like, hey, you know, we like your story. Would you like to 
you know, sign on with us and publish it with us. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it was really <laughs> random because for me, I was like, this is, you know, it's done, you know, like I'm done with Trailer Park Warlock. We're not going to, that's it, you know? And then now I'm on season four, like I'm working on season four now. So oh, yeah. I would, awesome. it's interesting just to comment on that. It's like, there's a part of me that looks at, looks at art contests and art competitions to a certain extent. Uh, there's this, for a long time in the comics community, in illustration, there was uh, this idea talked about, about don't do work for exposure right because the mm. idea is you're just being you're being used basically and a lot of contests and competitions sort of feed off of that especially like internet stuff right where it's like oh you're going to put up content we make money from the page views and all this other stuff you're kind of just giving us money yeah for you know in, at the at the expense of your own time and energy I have to say, from personal experience, there are outliers to that, right? It, <laughs> sometimes you're taking a bet, you're taking a gamble, but sometimes it pays off. You have to be willing to take, you know, you have to be willing to do that risk assessment. For me, like, I was in a position where I had finished a story a couple of years ago, and there wasn't anything up front for me to lose in terms of time and energy. So that's why that worked out. That's not everybody's situation. Um, so I just say that as like a way to consider, you know, if you have a story that you've made or a movie or whatever that you're like, you know, brush off the cans, there's a contest going on, <laughs> it might be worth submitting just for the hell of it. You know what I mean? Sometimes for the hell of it works out. It depends, right? Yeah. But anyway, uh, Joe, do you have, would you have it for yourself any examples of contests or competitions that you've exhibited with um so i actually did that webtoon contest too that's right yeah and that was um it was good for me because it was just a motivator to actually complete pages yeah because you know for years before it was just kind of like ideas sketches notes and that gave me like a like something to actually focus on lock in a deadline have yeah, and uh, I've learned it was awesome over the for years me too. I enjoyed reading Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's fun. But yeah, I've learned over the years that if I don't have something structured like that, then it'll probably never see the light of day. Um, but one of my first competitions was actually in high school. I won um, an American Vision Award. Just uh, like some scholastic contest thing. I don't know. But like the high school I went to, the art department was like full of these like just monster oil painters and like traditional drawing and I was doing cartoony stuff and I knew like I always felt out of place because I felt like I couldn't necessarily like match up to them yeah and so when we approached the competition I said well you know fuck this I'll do something different and I actually did like uh I built a bass guitar oh nice yeah like a working awesome. functioning thing and I submitted films too, and because uh, I did these shorts, and I won like a silver for the film, and then like uh, the national award for the guitar. Wow! And um, you know, and the, basically what I got out of that is I got scholarship money to SCAD. Oh, whoa! I didn't know that. Yeah, um, but that said, um, that's all gone now. 
<laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that was gone the moment you won it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like the first two quarters of Sky maybe were covered, and then that was it. That's pretty significant, but, um, though. I'll give you that. Yeah, but I mean, it's one of those things that were like I feel. I feel like it was helpful to me in the sense of like being surrounded by people that are. I'm doing air quotes right now for people just listening, like better than me at something. It like that doesn't like diminish what I do necessarily. And I think that goes for everybody too. Like, you know, if you're looking at yourself in comparison to others, you know, just because they're having successes or they're doing something special, that doesn't mean that you're not too or not capable of it. Yeah. See, now I, I'm yeah. curious to know to to go down that rabbit hole a little bit because just recently there was a film festival that was open to me. Um, it was absolutely free. Okay, there was no cost to enter, and I was considering dusting off digits and submitting oh, it. Oh, sure. Just because okay. uh, when I first did digits, uh, when I, I did that, I was unfamiliar with the the landscape of film festivals and such, and I only thought there was like Sundance and uh, like con and like that was it. And so I submitted to those things just thinking, okay, these are my shot. And then I got rejected from like three, the three of them. And that was it. And hey. I thought, Oh, okay, that's it. That those are the only film festivals that there are. Cause that's all you hear about for mainstream stuff. Nowadays, it's a different story. Obviously there's hundreds, if not thousands of film festivals. So anyway, a, a one that recently came up for me was, um, absolutely free. They were looking for no budget movies and this and that. And I thought, you know what, maybe I can go and there's a couple of things on digits I can do a couple trims on and I can just show it and have it get seen by people who aren't friends and family and just, you know, why not see if it'll happen. And I was on the good old Twitter and I saw some other people who were talking about their submissions and they posted like trailers to their films. And I'm looking and you got to remember this was digits was made in 2009 so mm-hmm. the accessibility of the camera quality and all that stuff was significantly less than it is these days. And I'm looking at trailers from people who have shot stuff within the last year who clearly either had a fucking budget or know somebody who's got like an Ari Flex Red Dragon, the, like the crazy $100,000 digital cameras that they just that's their thing. And they had, yeah. you know, stuff shot on that and all this kind of stuff. I didn't even bother to edit digits. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm able to be, be able to compete with that. Now, sitting here to discussing with you guys right now, I kind of regret that. I kind of wish I had you yeah. know, thrown up my middle finger and said, no, this is the no budget one. And fuck you, Mr. Thousand Dollar Camera. Uh, look at me. Look at me. But I, I I will I will argue. I guess I might be the. I will argue for doing things on a lark because I've had two, <laughs> like I've had two things work out for me because I did it on a lark. And um, it doesn't mean do it all the time, but nevertheless, um, I think there's. Sometimes when there's nothing to lose, why the hell not? You know. Well, yeah. see, and that was that leads to me where I was getting with my question though, because earlier I mentioned about how getting getting uh, accepted or nominated or winning or whatever can be completely validating. But mm-hmm. what, we're, what we didn't discuss was the other direction it can go, because that first round when I submitted Haunted and it got rejected on all fronts, man, that fucking devastated me. 
Um, it was, you know what I mean? Like that's a real like kick in the nuts about, you know, do I belong here? Should I keep on this dream? Do I keep wasting time and money and sacrificing, you know, memories with loved ones and all these, you know, I don't want to say opportunities, but like things, other things I could be going towards in my life to try to chase this dream. So I'm curious to know from both of you gentlemen, um, is there, have there been times when you've questioned your the quality of your work versus others because like the competition factor can really smack you down when you get beat you're just like i can't compete with that look at the the budget on this thing or that guy's got way too many connections there's no way anyone's going to hold a candle to him (laughs) he knows three people on the judging committee like they're all going to vote like you know what i'm saying so i'm clear yeah i'm curious to know like joe and and rainwater have you guys ever um dealt with that kind of doubt or you know what I mean? And like, what did you do? How did you respond to it? Um, I can speak on that a little bit. When sure. I first moved to Atlanta, I moved in with a buddy from school and our other roommate, both of them work on a TV show here, uh, Archer. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. And so like, you know, I'm meeting friends and like doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, like I went from, being in Mississippi is like the only artist I know to like living with a house full of just like creatives. Yeah. But <laughs> extremely talented, like yeah. wake up at two in the morning and I see the oil painting he's working on. I'm like, man, fuck you. You know, like just, <laughs> <laughs> just like super good. Right. And, um, and so for a little bit, when I first came here, I was kind of just like, man, I don't fit with this crew. Like I don't, my work doesn't look like this and like people are doing murals and stuff. And I was really in my head about it. And then I, um, early on too, I submitted to a Federator. Do you know that company? Yeah. Oh, what? Uh, Federator, they do pilots for animated shows. Okay. I've never heard of them. Um, yeah, they made like the pilot for like Adventure Time and uh, Powerpuff Girls, I think, back in the day. Okay. But, um, so I submitted a pitch. They were accepting uh, storyboards for like you know, short episodic pitches. And I did one and I was like staying up late and I put all this work into it and I sent it and I actually got a response back and, you know, they said no, but, um, in retrospect, his critique actually wasn't harsh at all or anything like that. He basically was just saying like, they could tell I was not opening up in terms of like humor and doing whatever. It was just kind of playing it safe. Um, which I was, I was like, I want this to get picked up. So let me not be dirty. Let me not, you know, yeah, be myself. And, uh, I like stopped working on stuff for a solid like month after that. Just kind of like, you know, what the hell am I doing here? Um, and, you know, over the years though, I've kind of like found a way of working that like, you know, I make a living and like, I'm kind of doing what I want to creatively, but that really shook me pretty bad. That's interesting. Uh, cause I did, I, I similarly did a pitch with Frederator and uh, this was me and my friend Austin and they didn't give us any feedback. They were just like, ah, it doesn't work for us. So that was one, something I was going to mention is years later, now that I've like gone through the process of like hiring people and doing stuff like that. The fact that they wrote me and actually like took that time meant that I did pretty good. Yeah. That's what I was thinking (laughs) when you said that, like, that's usually a pretty, you know, it's not the response that you want, but it's a good, it's a positive response. It's like you made that... the world's best burger, and they were like, "Sir, this is a bakery. Like, we we're we're not gonna serve, <laughs> we're not gonna serve this." But you know what I mean. But it was like, "Hey, you made a damn good burger, but 
this, me with my fucking yeah. food analogies. But well, stuff. and I say this as uh, I've been I've been working on a side project um, that that involves like um, doing queries with agents, and so I'm doing this project. I'm I'm editing this book for um, some people. And part of the, you know, you, you go through this process of like sending queries to agents and hoping you hear back from them. Right. Most yeah. of the time you do not right. like agents will look at it, throw it away and then move on. But if you do get a reply from an agent and they say, well, this project wouldn't work for us because X and X and X, that is like, in a lot of ways, it's a go ahead of like, well, if you did these changes, we might go another step further. Or this is what you need to think about when you're querying other agents. Like oh. this is what you need to think about with your project and how you approach people who you want to take it in. And so, I mean, this is getting a little bit beyond our original topic, but at the same time, I think it's, I think it's interlinked because it ultimately it's about competition. Art competition is ultimately about getting people's attention. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the i think one of the things all artists want attention right yes <laughs> that's why it's part of the reason why we do it it's part of the, part of what brings us back into this uh vicious cycle and, and we don't so, want to share the attention either i want to make that a yes. very very important point <laughs> that's why that's why they make you turn off your fucking phone when you walk into a movie theater oh yeah <laughs> i know uh... But no, that, that what you're what you're raising is a valid point because there is competition, and an agent's only going to pick up so many you know new clients a yeah. year, um, so there yeah. is competition there, and you know, and that gets down to to a, a, a side topic that we kind of brief, briefly touched on earlier, um, which is the, the whole business aspect of it. You know what I mean? It's that that mm -hmm. becomes where you have to take your artist hat off and you got to put the business hat on, and you have to start thinking about you know is this a good business move in terms of competing um and i've i've struggled with that a lot for a lot of things so like i'm writing um my martial arts film the indomitable spirit and mm -hmm. a lot of people and they constantly tell me this they're like listen hollywood is on the whole big inclusion kick now and you have to have a diverse cast you have to you know have the these particular components and one of the, the main things in my particular screenplay is there are no Asian characters. It is 100% American martial arts. And the thing that I'm trying to convey to people is this is not the Karate Kid with, you know, Mr. Miyagi. This is my personal experiences as a martial arts, you know, instructor. And I've molded it, you know, obviously taking creative license to make a theme and ring some you know um i don't know if i want to call it morality but some kind of an artistic through line with it um and could mm -hmm. i take that liberty yes i could just add in you know generic asian character because it's a good business move and that will make me more competitive in a market and it'll help me get chosen or looked at more or considered because you know some agent and agents are fucking fickle They'll look at it and go, there's no Asian characters in a martial arts film. This is going to get canceled by Twitter in 20 minutes of its trailer drop. Like, well, I'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole. So I'm I'm 
I'm struggling with the mentality of the art versus the business factor because that competition factor of the market that we're in as artists, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you have to be relevant. What's the word I'm looking for? Topical, I guess, or just with the times. What, what What's the word I'm looking for here? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, topical is a good word. Okay, so we'll yeah. go with topical. Everybody knows what I mean, even if that's not the yeah, word. Yeah. But so I'm struggling because part of me is like, I'm not shooting for now. I'm shooting for forever. Like I want this yeah. to be a film that lasts the test of time. It's not a fad. It's not about what's going on in the industry right now. It's about this story and these characters. So I'm struggling with, you know, do I do this because it's got to compete to even get seen because it's never going to be legendary if no one ever sees it. It's just not. Right. It's going to get right. lost to time. So I'm curious to know how you guys deal with the idea of adjusting your art for whatever factor it may be um, to be competitive with other artists, whether it's a particular style of drawing or music or the content that you're creating, like the story or a particular character. Is there any kind of struggles relating to the competition within your market that you guys have dealt with in recent times? Um. I know uh, in terms of like comics and illustration stuff, I feel like the kind of stuff I like to do is probably not the most in fashion thing right now. You know, like That's I, uh, like just taking Webtoon for instance, I feel like most of the top stuff that is comic strip based is like yep. uh, couples, like relationship, like, but really sweet, silly relationship yeah. comics and um, like manga looking romance comics. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it's like those are all doing well, and I don't fit in those. So I pretty much just don't kind of worry about it because I don't. <laughs> That's stuff a tricky I don't thing, do. too, because it's like Webtoon's core demographic is like, um, is like high school to early college, like, female. Mm -hmm. So, like, very specifically that, um, I don't know, like, very hardcore manga sort of crowd right and i get what yeah. you're saying because it's like uh like trailer park speaking from personal experience trailer park warlock is like very unfashionable yeah. and on the other hand the audience that's into it is really into it because they don't see anything else like that on webtoon yeah and i would say just in regard kind of in response to what you're talking about joe I mean, you know, and this isn't just Webtoon. This is whatever, you know, mm -hmm. uh, channel or venue. The things that stick out, even though they may not be picked up immediately, they'll continue to stick out perennially, you know. Right. So over time, you because, so for example, like, I would maybe make the argument that, like, for titles on Webtoon that are not anything like Webtoon's demographic, you're always going to have people who get tired, right? Of like the same romance story. Here's another empress who's yeah. fallen in love with blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, like uh, you can only do that so many times until they see something that's like, oh, that's unique. That's original. That's not like anything else on here. I want to check it out. And then because they have that, that hit, that's a contrast, they really get into it. And so uh, it's more I'm, it's more of a theoretical argument that I'm trying to make right now, but like the argument being, if you're willing to do sort of the long game of it, um, there is 
there is an audience, even when it seems like the audience is very small. But you also have the opportunity for having a more, I guess, rabid audience over time. You yeah. know, because there is the sort of there is an appeal of like, it's that appeal of like, oh, I used to like them before they were popular, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So everybody it, wants to be the person who finds the big, you know, indie hit or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, the art, or your audience finds you kind of deal where it's, yeah, you just got to uh, kind of keep on trugging with what it is that you believe the next thing is like you are aiming to be the next fad, not necessarily a fad, but you get what I'm saying. Like the next big, yeah. that, it's a hard, it's a hard road to plow too, though. It's a lonely it's a lot road. Of... That's, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's the thing is like, you're, you're walking it without a map and without anybody yeah. there to cheer you on or tell you that, yeah. you know, you're doing the right thing. Like you literally have to be crazy. And it's a road that I think a lot of artists get lost going down because they end up oh, thinking yeah. to themselves, you guys just don't get it. And most of the time it's because the artist is failing and not necessarily the audience. Um, yeah, there is to, I'm not saying there, there aren't times when the artist is like, no, I'm ahead of you guys. You'll, you'll get there. Just catch up, keep up with me. And I mean, in a lot of ways in, in a lot of respects, I feel like this podcast is kind of that thing. Cause it's like, <laughs> we're not doing, we're not doing stocks. We're not doing, you know, like whatever <laughs> other is the big, we're not doing UFOs or anything like that. So like, this is one of those things where you kind of wait for the slow drip to build into it because a lot of people don't yet realize that that's what they want. Not the, I mean, that's kind of a pompous thing to say, but you, you go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say, um, I feel like if you're, if you're thinking about it in terms of like money and making a living too, you do have to have this like hyper awareness of the market. But if you kind of lock in on trying to chase a trend or what you deem as popular, you, you're probably going to come in at the tail end of stuff every time. Yes. Um, yeah. And something I see now, too, is like, uh, I guess over the past couple of years, a lot of companies are catching heat for like trying to do LGBTQ. They call uh, it queerbaiting, right? Isn't that what it is? Queerbaiting? Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think that's a Billy Eilish has a thing with that right now. Oh, is it? I don't know. I don't follow her. Yeah, <laughs> when you say, I'm just curious, Joe. When you say catching heat, like they're catching heat from audiences. Yeah, like well, okay. like a lot, I see a lot of queer people like upset because it's like you know Target doesn't give a shit about these causes, yeah. or and I think on one hand of that, like even working at a company like I do, like the people doing that kind of stuff, like we actually do care, but yeah. a lot of companies are doing it because it's like. It's definitely in vogue to speak out now, you know. Like it's um, it's uh, it's in other words, it's it's a way of getting attention from people because it's like, oh, hey, we're talking about the thing that everybody's talking about, right? So let's yes. talk about us, you know. Kind of like yeah. with the Burger King and the chicken sandwich thing, where they were trying to to yes, to exactly. show up uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Chick Fil A. Uh, yeah, no, I totally get that. Right. And they, well, you got There's all, they're trying to be competitive as well because you have to keep in mind. There's all it takes is one tweet from someone to say your silence is um, ignoring a problem or it's uh, supporting the, you know, the um, what's the word I'm looking for here? God, I'm a writer and I can't think of words tonight. Wow. I'm ashamed of myself. (laughs) Uh, You're supporting suppression. 
That's that's kind yeah. of the idea. You know what I mean? So it's almost like they're trying to get ahead of being called. It's like, no, 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 I'm not a racist. Look at this chicken sandwich. Like, it's it's yeah. one of those things. Um, and I'm curious to know, you know, do you guys think that is another thing that, you know, breeds insincerity with like the whole competition aspect of it. It's like, well, we have to do this fad because otherwise someone else is going to get ahead of us. Whereas, you know what I mean? Like that, like people, I'm not saying that artists themselves will do it, but like companies will choose specific things to get ahead. I'll even say there was a time, um, a couple years ago, again, I was trying to get haunted made and project green light was coming back. And if anybody's unfamiliar with that, it was a television show on HBO and they were looking for horror properties that they were going to produce to put on shutter. And I was like, this is fucking perfect. I got my award winning screenplay. I have uh, a fucking camera and I've got like a cast lined up. I've got a budget already. And like, I'm, I'm fucking nine tenths of the way there. There's no way they're not going to pick me. I shot this awesome little promo video. I submitted it. I thought, this is it. I got it. And then didn't get selected. And I thought, okay, well, that's just one of the ways that those cookies crumble. And then they, you know, as the bitter artist does, I waited until they announced who their finalists were. And I'm like, I got to see what was better than me. And I realized, and I went back and I looked at some of like the fine print, I think it was, but you needed to have a female producer on the film in order to be considered uh, or like oh, a female yeah, director or a female writer or something of that sort, which I didn't include in my thing, which oddly enough at the time we did have, but we didn't have anything like that. And they were like, I get, I don't know if that was the reason or not. I'm not saying it. It was, they might've just yep. said, this yeah, is yeah. a sucky concept, but, um, but you know, that the bitter part of me was like, well, motherfucker, why can't you just pick the one that's good? Like <laughs> this, this is, this might've been good. Like how many ones did you turn down because they didn't have a female on it? And it was one of those instances where that's what makes me kind of jaded about going through a studio system is that they're doing certain things. Like Joe said, it's, uh, I believe correct me if I'm wrong. It's called virtue signaling where you yeah. do something yeah. to give the appearance of, sure. um, yeah, political correctness i don't know what the right words are right, fuck me um but but you don't <laughs> sincerely mean it and and, and i'm curious to right. know like since you guys have dealt with stuff like that I, I we all have i just know it um how has that shaped how you approach co- competing i guess i'm asking the same question again but i it's i don't know i don't know say what's on your mind did you have any <laughs> thoughts about that joe um, yeah, I'll just say that, like, um, so I work at a nonprofit, and internally, the majority of, like, the kind of work we do is, like, equity-based. Like, we yeah. we throw millions into the community. When COVID happened, we were putting millions into Atlanta to help paying rent for people. But what's funny is because the national conversation has become so intense with stuff, it's almost like we come off as inauthentic entering it mm, even really? though it's yeah even though it's what we do and um i think we do a good job of it but it's definitely like it's really hard yeah because <laughs> you're like, basically having to like figure out what is the proper balance of speaking to the audience about this thing and yeah. not like losing their attention because they're like you know 
they start wondering about the authenticity, right? Yeah, because, I mean, that's such a big question now. I feel like, um, you know, how many people uh, will drop a company if they find out, like, the CEO did some gross shit or, like, you know... Yeah, it's. I've thought I've, this is something that I've thought about a lot because I feel like I feel like a lot of companies, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like where their their goal is to generate revenue, generate profit, they're gonna try and find the easiest road to plow. They're not going to like go out of the, you know, color outside the lines or whatever. Like they're not gonna go outside of their their comfort zone unless they get a signal from the world around them that they need to. And I think a lot of, a lot of times people respond like, Oh, you know, corporations are doing this or whatever as some sort of like ploy or whatever, you know, when in reality they're just responding to what they see because they don't want to lose money. They don't want to lose. They don't want to get like their show that they spent millions of dollars on canceled in the first season because they didn't see, you know, this big red light coming from a mile away or whatever. And some, you know, the companies that end up succeeding on on doing that are the ones you kind of can see a little bit more ahead of everybody else. So, like, uh, Disney is a company that really saw ahead of the curve in terms of what was going to be popular in culture, what was going to be the thing that people picked up on, Mm -hmm. and they got ahead of it, and that's worked out for them. Other companies have had to adjust course and figure out you know, oh, what are what are we going to cover? And, like, there's all sorts of different routes because the other route that you can do is just to go the opposite opposite way and do none of those things and be like, oh, this is our identity. We're just, like, the total opposite of what everybody else is doing. So, like, I guess my answer it, to all of this is, because I think the original question this was all predicated on, Jal, is you were asking in regards to our own work, Mm. have we, like, in what ways have we, like, adjusted our, whatever we're doing towards the trends that exist? If at all. If at all. Um, well, so, like, in Trailer Park Warlock, in season two, I, I, I had, um, a relationship that started between two same-sex characters. And for me, like, I wanted to do that because I was interested in doing that story, I was interested in that narrative. I was interested in thinking about it because it's not something that I had done as a writer. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, it was, like, a way to challenge myself and think more, you know, empathize yeah. and think more deeply about, you know, people's lives who are not my own. The way the audience responded to it was either, you know, Yas Queen or it was, <laughs> like, I can't believe you're fucking doing this. You're ruining my comic forever. I can't read this ever again. Unsubscribed, you know, fuck you. And it's like, for me, I'm just like, I'm just writing a story. Like, I'm not, yeah. you know, like, and this kind of goes to what you were saying, Joe, about, you know, authenticity. It's like, the thing about it is, it's very difficult you can't control people's reaction, right? No. You can't control how people are going to respond to what you do. Your authenticity, you have to, you know, assess for yourself whether or not you're being authentic and let, you know, let the dice roll as they will, basically. Yeah. See, um, I, I had a, an issue where I was almost, and it wasn't me trying to be counterculture. It was me trying to adjust to be in culture, which was doing things 
differently than what's been done f- before. So for mm-hmm. a horror movie, you, I'm sure you both have heard the the terminology of a quote unquote final girl, which is always the yeah. Yeah. the chick at the end of the movie who survived it all and takes on the monster and and ends up either winning or you know getting killed in the last frame right as the credits pop up. And when I had wrote Haunted, I had followed that kind of template for two reasons. One, as a horror movie, it's supposed to have a final girl. Like, check. Like, hit that box. And two, like you were saying, Rainwater, um, I was trying to branch out as an artist where I had done digits, and it was all about a male character in the lead, a white male, straight white male character. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to start mm-hmm. writing something different. It's going to be a little boring to me. I want to try and write a female character as the lead, and horror was the perfect place to do that. Now, I named the lead character Taylor, which in the moment of naming her, which was a whole big thing for any artist who's ever written a story that you know that coming up with the name is like the hardest fucking thing to do. Um, it was not done with the implicit decision of making a name that could be unisex because Taylor could be a guy's name too. At some point during the whole conversation of, you know, we want different things. We want you to change what the tropes are, the cliches, you know, to go against type and do this and that. I I had two options laid out in front of me. The first one was, should I make Taylor African-American or uh, another nationality? Because black final girls, I've only thought seen one, I think of, which is Jada Pinkett in uh, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. I can't think of any others. Off the top of my head, I think there may have been one yeah. in the movie The Descent, um, but I only watched that movie once and I hated it, uh, so I don't really remember. But other than that, yeah. like I can't really think of, you know, final girls uh, who had a different ethnicity that wasn't white. And then the other part of me was like, well, well, fuck it. Why don't I just make a final final guy? Why don't I turn the main character into a guy? I mean, it's going to yep. come off as, oh, look, it's the men's rights movement or some bullshit like that. But that wasn't what my mentality was. My mentality was, well, we we don't see a guy as the fragile last victim being chased, has to go up against the, the, the monster. And maybe that'll be interesting. That'll be different and fresh and new. So I really struggled with it for a while. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just kind of responding to where... Rainwater was when he was talking about doing what he wanted to do and so for me it just came down to the decision where I was like all right I'm going to keep it as a female and when I go into my casting call I'm not going in with the mentality of this is a white chick I'm going in with yeah whichever whoever whichever actress walks into the room first and blows me away with the type of personality that I see this character having where she's a smart ass and she's got like a cynical tongue and she's like sarcastic and that kind of like that kind of personality in her that can pull that off and be believable with it. That's the girl I'm going to cast. And oddly enough, there were tons of pretty white girls who walked through the door because, you know, that's what they do. And when the modeling career doesn't work out and they just <laughs> didn't have it. And then a, a, a Hispanic girl came in and I hadn't even been thinking about a Hispanic I was just thinking, oh, it should be an African-American, Jordan Peele's big, blah, 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 blah. I was doing the whole I need to compete because Get Out is the big thing right now. I need to have mm. a black. So when she came in and she was Hispanic, I'm like, that's the personality I'm looking for 
that's going to be the girl that I want. And you know what I mean? So that's how I ended up solving that problem. But I kept, I, I, I rode that line of trying to be competitive for competitive sake and also mm -hmm. being artistically authentic. So, you know, yep. Joe, you look like you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say what, what makes you competitive in that story is that you were open to the casting because that's kind of what the problem has been. Um, I actually worked for, um, I did freelance for a network here that was, um, one of the, one of the movies I did marketing for was life of a King. It's like a uh, Cuba Gooding jr. It's a chess guy out of prison or something. But, um, one of the things I heard an exec say on the call was when they were trying to cast for that movie, they couldn't think of any good black actors. That's what he said on the call. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, the guy I was working with looked at me and was like, what the fuck? So he, you know, we, we got off the conference call. I'm we sorry. get off the conference call and he starts making a list and he's just like listing off all these actors and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with them? And I think what you had to think about is like, I guess like the sea change has been that like the public wants more. And so like people are having to like be more open to casting. Cause like you said, Taylor, that name, that could be anybody. Right. Right. And a good casting director is going to have that openness to like, you know, Get the best person. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of casting director. It's just me in a, a rented <laughs> yeah. out community center <laughs> with my ad on Craigslist, just dealing with all the crazy people who actually look for parts on Craigslist. Um, oh, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, looking to, well, we're getting down towards the, the final minutes, probably another 20 minutes or so as usual um, <laughs> on this particular um, episode. So I'm curious to know, we've kind of trashed, competition for the most part We're, we've had some silver linings but uh, I want to try and end on a positive note so we've talked about the 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 wonderful addition of deadlines that competitions do give you as artists who are inevitably have to self-promote it does give that that wonderful marketing tool um, mm -hmm. it, it does give that temporary validation ego boost etc um, are there any other silver linings that you guys can think of that come out of forcing two artists to compete with each other or, or multiple artists, I should say? Um, I guess I'll, I'll start and talk about, um, so bef I mean, long before the webtoon thing, uh, way back when there was a company called Tokyo pop that, that would do this competition called the rising stars of manga. And as a kid, uh, this is like high school, I think. This was the shit for me because, like, I was into manga. Manga was finally being like, like both anime and manga were starting to kind of build a bigger and bigger market in the United States. I wanted to like be a part of that in some way. So, like, I, uh, I think this is fourteen. I submitted like a thirteen-page story to Tokyo Pop's Rising Stars of Manga. It was a complete mess. It was a complete just, I didn't know what I was doing. I've never really, I mean, I had drawn comics before that, but it, I was trying to do some kind of like, I had been reading Asamu Tezuka, who is this comic artist who does like kind of thoughtful stories. And I was trying to be profound and thoughtful. So like I did this story that was like about, um, 
there's this giant laboratory where like robots of like white robots and black robots fight each other and it's like this like they're both the same so there's like this gray robot who's like the scientist invents and they kill the gray robot and they keep fighting each other and i'm like you know in my head i'm like this is genius this is like (laughs) you know usual delusional 14 year old sort of thinking it didn't place it didn't get i'm sure that they like kind of like look through it and just toss it aside because like what the fuck is this shit because ultimately the people who got picked were really good artists who had probably been working on it for years and you know they were probably older than me they were probably like people who had studied manga way more than i had had like done life drawing all that kind of shit and for me like yes it was a wound to my like sense of you know, to my sense of ego and to my sense of pride as an artist. But it was the first time that I'd ever inked a comic. Before then, I had never inked a comic. I'd never, like, like done the whole process to make a comic that was printable. I would, before that time, I would draw pages and pages of comics that were just penciled. That was it. Like, and I just, in my mind, I was like, you know, I'll get around to it later I'm sure there's some sort of vague process that I don't understand and don't ha- know anything about where you can just run pages through a machine and it'll make it automatically look better. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, that was the first step into a bigger journey of realizing, oh, no, you, you idiot. Like, you have to actually learn every single step of the way. And so my, I guess to round out what I'm, this whole thing, this whole spill is about is one of the one of the benefits of competition is it really challenges your assumptions about yourself as you know as a as a crafts person as whatever you Thinking know whether that that's special yes yeah it <laughs> really is a rubber meets the road kind of a thing and by that if you're willing to improve you will improve absolutely you will improve whether or not that improvement will lead to accolades or money or any of that stuff. Who the fuck knows? But you will improve in terms of your quality if you continue to do it. And that's my that's my positive take on competition in art. Yeah. I uh I have a positive take in terms of like competition in like a team setting. Cuz that's something that I've kind of seen um are you guys sports guys at all? A little bit, but uh... not. Like, if I say Alan Iverson, do you know who I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> I do. Okay. Okay. So he's, like, considered probably top five for most people. Really great guy. Never won a ring, but he was also, like, notorious for not being, like, a team player. Like, he wouldn't show up to practices and Basketball, blah, blah. Rainwater, by the way. Yeah, basketball. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but when I think of it in terms of, like, working on a design team or, like, just as a group, even in a band, too, like, it's the same thing goes everything kind of there's like this internal competition that happens between people that I think it's healthy if it's going right. (laughs) And uh, it kind of just pushes everyone to up their game a little bit because you're not only looking at your competing with yourself, but you're looking at the next guy and you're like, okay, they just did this. So now I've got to do this. And when you get to the end, the result is something stronger than anybody would have done on their own. And I think that's like a healthy way of using competition. 
like because um, you kind of feed off of each other. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I think that I think that's a very valid point. Is that you know everyone has that that gas tank of creativity or whatever like that, and you know yeah. you use it and then it's gone. But sometimes there's like a quarter a quarter left in the tank, and sometimes it's very inspiring when someone's doing something that they love or or, or, or that they they're very passionate about or whatever, and you're like, wow, that guy's getting a really good shot, and I want to make sure that the sound doesn't let that shot down. Like, I want to make exactly. sure that, that, you know what I mean? And then the sound guy's talking, and he's like, oh, I need to get really good sound because this shot is phenomenal. I've never seen a cinematographer get this shot. And the actor overhears him, and he's like, fuck, I cannot fuck up this take. We have to get this right. I have to make sure I'm yeah. on point. You know what I mean? Like, it, it it's uh, contagious, I guess. Yeah. It That's is. a great way yeah. to look at it, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I think, too, like... Um, so I brought up Alan Iverson just to say that, like, in those kind of situations, you don't want to be that guy that's just thinking of, like, how, like, trying to top dog everybody else. Yeah. Well, did you did either of you watch the uh, the Michael Jordan? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I love it. Yet. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> Rainwater. It's fucking phenomenal. I need to because I, I keep yeah. hearing people talk about it and it looks really good. Um, yeah. You know, the, Jordan doesn't so much talk about it as much as his teammates do. But he held them accountable. He was like, if you're showing up, you're showing up and you're playing at my level. Like, you're not like I, I if if you're if Rodman's letting that that rebound go, I'm I'm ripping into him. Motherfucker, get in the game. Like, you are yeah. not you're going to support me or you know what I mean? Like, and that was his kind of thing. So he kind of led through that team competition. It was kind of like that thing. And like him and Scottie Pippen. We're, you know, we're all about, you know, who was going to get the most that night and this and that. And like that kind of competition really helped make them thrive. And I don't think I, I think Michael Jordan will tell you he's not Michael Jordan without that team. And he exactly. would talk about it. He would talk about the coach. He would talk about, you know, what I mean, like everybody raised each other's game because they were just I don't want to say they were necessarily in competition with each other, but it it's that neck and neck thing where if one person yeah. goes here, I got to match that. And you, uh, you you brought up Rodman, and um, he was like a monster at rebounds. Which yeah. sorry about the sports analogies. Oh, no, no, <laughs> I'm like following. It. I'm good. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not like he was trying to like out dunk or out shoot Jordan. He knew his lane was like, all right, I got to do like 15 rebounds tonight. And that's I amazing. will get 12 concussions to get this yeah. rebound, and I don't care if I crash into the people in the front seats in front of me and give one of them a bloody nose and lose a tooth or whatever. He was like exactly. set out to be the guy that was going to be like if Jordan's going to be the guy that everyone's talking about for in terms of like leading a team. Rodman yeah. wanted to be the guy who was like nobody gets rebounds like Rodman. And here we are now still saying I've never seen a, in basketball a player sacrifice themselves like their body as much as Dennis Rodman did to get a fucking exactly. rebound to keep the ball in play. Like it was insane. Yeah. And that's kind so, of the thing, yeah. And, uh, and to transition this to like a comic reference, <laughs> all the like artist people started people. listening again. Yeah, <laughs> but like in, in terms of competition, I think some people who don't feel comfortable with it think of themselves as like a direct comparison, and it's really like you have to play your part. So, yeah. like, if you took the Avengers, the Hulk doesn't need to do what Captain America does right he has his like spot 
and everybody contributes, hopefully. Yeah. And that's yeah, Absolutely. and that's yeah. I think that's a good takeaway. For me, yeah. um, I think that in the for the most part, I think that artists in terms of finding positivity within competition need to first accept that it is not validation of yourself and your work and your abilities and your value. Um, it is more so just an opportunity to present your work to a fresh audience and nothing more than that. I think that because it's, it's one of those tr tricky tight ropes to walk when you're pinning all of your hopes and dreams on winning something when the person who read your script or looked at your comic or listened to your song, maybe they just had a bad day and they're not in the mood for that particular thing at that moment in time. That yeah. doesn't invalidate all of the work that you did or how great this thing is. It just means that one person didn't get it, wasn't in the mood for it, didn't even look at it. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like there's instances of that where judges will just go, eh, I'll pick this one. And they just grab oh, yeah. a, a random thing. And, you know, you have to realize that people are human and judges and yeah. qualifying committees and all that nonsense are no different. Um, but I think that the, the, the positive thing to look at it is it's just an opportunity to present your work to another audience. And, and this is something that I didn't we didn't get into, but this is something that I always, always, always valued as. Um, something from competitions with festivals and stuff, and I'm sure you guys will back me up on this. Every artist has this particular doubt. When you create something, what is the first fucking thing you do when it's done, kind of near done, close to what you want? You show it to your friends, to your family, to your spouse, whoever it may be, someone in your life, you share it with them. And you say, yeah. what do you think? And their initial response, I don't give a fuck who they are. I like it. That's it. <laughs> they always like it. They always like it. They're never going to tell you it sucks. They're never going to tell you that, it, you know, they don't get it or this or that. Well, sometimes parents will tell you that they don't get it. But um, the, 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 the truth is, and I think Rainwater got into this a little bit earlier, though, uh, when he was talking about, you know, it, it's a kind of a humbling experience, but um, rejection is an opportunity. Fail that that failure is an opportunity. Like how I was talking about with Haunted, to reevaluate your own work and to see mm. if, you know, if you're doing what you're intending on doing. So you know what I'm saying. So that's one of the reasons why, and I should do this more. And this is what I fucking hate. Um, in screenplay uh, competitions, they offer feedback. Like, they'll send you the feedback from the judges, but it always fucking costs more. It's like, oh, $30 uh. to submit, $80 to get your feedback. Motherfucker, just put it in an email. You already have the notes. Just shoot it to me. It's not that. Seriously. That, to me, is when I start yeah. getting pissed off. That's the racket. Um, but when you can get it and you can get that validation from a group, of people so like me when i hit that first festival on haunted when i got that first win i was like wow that's really awesome but then i had to check myself and think that was one particular set of judges who were looking for one thing maybe i should try a couple more festivals and see what happens 
And then as you get more and more festivals, more wins, more whatever competition successes, you start. It's not about validating yourself as an artist. It's about validating the fact that you're accomplishing what you what you set out with your work. Does that make sense? Yep. There's a difference yeah. Yeah. that that between Absolutely. your your value and your work's ability to do what you intended. I guess. Yeah, yeah. meeting the goal basically. Yeah. So it's it's a yeah, good way to to kind of indicate to yourself whether or not you're on the right path. I guess. Yeah. In terms of what you're trying to accomplish with that work, not as your life, in terms of being an artist, right. but in terms of successfully communicating a concept through an art medium like that's that's the yeah. way to look at it so i mean if and it's possible that the all the competitions are wrong it's very possible however unlikely um and i think a lot of artists need to go in remove your ego from the the whole thing try it's hard fucking it's really hard but if you can walk back from humble lane and say all right i gotta fix some stuff that's the greatest thing ever because you're not going to get that from your family and friends. They're going to tell you it's great and they're going to tell you it's worth a million dollars and you're going to win the Academy Award for this one. And that's no help to you. That that kind of criticism is not helpful at all. And I think that the rejection that competition can breed can be the right tool an artist needs if they look at it correctly. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Do you want to expand or maybe focus my ramblings yeah. a little bit better than well, I did. Two things. Uh, one, my um, my girlfriend is not like that with the criticism. Oh, lucky Her you. Face <laughs> gives a... <laughs> uh, I feel like uh, if I'm like noodling around on guitar or something, I can tell when I'm doing something that's probably crappy. Cause, you know, she'll close the door secret. and she'll put on headphones or... Yeah, or start playing a song, and I'm like, all right, I get it. Right. You know, um, but that's actually helpful. And also, yeah. the other point is, I'm the kind of besides the um, the federated thing. For the most part, when I get rejected, it like pumps me up, and I want to try again. Oh, okay. so like, if I'm playing a video game and I lose at something, I'm gonna just kind of keep throwing stuff at it until I do the like get over the hurdle. And I kind of do that with uh, art stuff too. Um, so I th think that that makes me pretty competitive, and like it works out for me. <laughs> I don't know how healthy it is, but yeah. If it makes you, was... uh, what's the word? Prolific in terms of creating art, because there's so many yeah. people who have ideas that never come to fruition, and. You know, if competition forces you to, to get off your ass and at least make it, then I think it is a, a healthy habit to have. Rainwater, yeah. did you have any thoughts sure. that you wanted to add? Uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I think I used to be way more competitive in terms of uh, how I saw myself in respect to other artists. So, like, over time, I feel like I'm starting to look at it as, like, okay, I have my particular lane or area that I'm in and it's different from other people's and it's not the comparison just doesn't it's almost seems pointless to a certain extent and I think it's actually it's interesting because I think um, it's sort of killed some of my momentum to a certain extent because 
I have definitely had periods of time where I've like rode on like a competitive spirit of like, oh, you know, I'm going to make this thing and it's going to be great and everybody's going to love it and blah, blah, blah. And um, I, after this conversation, it's given me a lot of food for thought because I'm wondering for myself if I just need to find that that area where I haven't I haven't looked quite properly yet, you know, where I haven't found somebody who I have that sort of competitive respect in the sense of I want to be in a place with them where we're kind of going back and forth because that's always like, so like, for instance, like, um, it's not quite competition in the same way, but like, so like when me and the awesome are writing garage Raja, we were kind of, we would have these moments where we're sort of, competing with each other for who can come up with like the cooler idea you know for like a storyline or something and so it's this constant like well what about this what about this and that's always really fun like that's like um, yeah yeah it's i think one of you had said like it's it's a kind of a contagious feeling because it it just keeps building and building and building and building and um and i don't i don't know if i have that much more to say on it other than um the main my main takeaway from it is the pros of com okay so the negative of competition right is that all that emotional energy can get in the way of the goal sometimes when you're like when you're thinking about accolades when you're thinking about money when you're thinking about like Success how can i or making it yes exactly and the pros of it the positives of it is the actual like when you're in the when you're in the middle of it when you're in that feedback loop of like two or more people either outdoing each other or working together in some sort of competitive spirit towards a goal like that's always great and that's like listening y'all talk about um talking about basketball really made me think about it a lot because that's something mm -hmm. I produced Trailer Park Warlock pretty much entirely by myself with the exception of help from editors just to kind of like, you know, do yeah. proof reading and stuff like that. It's kind of a lonely, like, you know, it's like I have to be my own competition, basically. Yeah. You know? And so I'm often competing against past stories. How can I outdo previous stories that I've made? Um so anyway, I guess I'm saying all that just to say like, oh, you know, this is giving me a lot of thought in regards to the future and how I, um, how I do, you know, how I think about how you use competition my... as a tool to better yes. yourself. And I think that's yes. the right way to look at it is not to, Absolutely. to look at it as, you know, instantaneous riches or celebrity or whatever like that. It's more about how is this going to make me better, um, as an artist, as yeah a communicator as a storyteller whatever it may be in that... fact at the end of the episode just to just to drop this here i would really recommend because this is one of those things that has like gotten gotten my a little twinge of competitive spirit has been seeing joe do the kai the kaijun stuff it's fucking awesome like Thank there's you. some really great illustrations that he's doing and i recommend everybody go check it out on his instagram um but it's just kind of gotten me like a little bit inspired looking at that stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh shit. Like that's especially seeing your process when I'm like seeing you kind of like you're using pictures of cityscapes as like sort of a, uh, something to build off on and then building the composition from that. Like, that's really cool. Like yeah. I never really thought about doing that. In that Thank sense. you. 
that's um so i i've had the idea to do illustrations like that for like probably since sky one of my friends that's a photographer asked me to work on something like that with her and i was afraid to do it then you to do it because of just like the idea of tracing over photography or like no just like my ability at the time like like i, I think i said this like every time i'm on here like i don't feel comfortable drawing <laughs> <laughs> so um for the most part i'm pretty confident with whatever i do but drawing is always like you know whatever but um so that said those have been a way for me to like how can i be good how can i get better and it's like my color is strong. I think my sense of form is pretty good. Oh, yeah. And so cancel out the backgrounds and just focus on the lighting and yeah. painting. And all of a sudden you have something pretty good. All right. Well, yeah. I think we've run we've run through this topic pretty well. Uh, I'm not going to say we'll probably revisit this topic, although we probably fucking will. Um, but because I, I always <laughs> say that at the end of every episode, we could go on and on and on about this. Uh, but I definitely thank everybody for tuning in. I hope you took away something from this particular episode because, in my opinion, this has been probably one of the top three discussions we've had on this uh, particular yeah, discussion. podcast. And I think there's a lot of stuff that people can take away. And I think this is something that a lot of people deal with or frustrated with, etc., in the art yeah. realms. So hopefully we've given you some bright sides to look at or to come out of this show with. Um, and a new outlook on how to use competition to your benefit and not to your same old detriment, I guess. Yeah. And I will hang my hat there. Uh, I have been Jow. Thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> thank <laughs> you, Joe Bell, for coming on. Say, yeah, thank you, Joe, for coming on. And I was just yeah. going to say at the end of this podcast uh, – you miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take. Is that a subtle dig to no, me for true. not submitting to that fucking festival? Is that what this is? No. That's what it is, no, Rainwater. God damn you. <laughs> uh. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>